Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our encounter for this week. It is January 30th. This is lesson number nine in this quarter. I am Reverend Rebecca Zardi. I'm the Director of Ministry with Women for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And this is my cohort in crime. No crime here. Uh, Chris, uh, I am the Director the Adult Ministries Coordinator, I think is for the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church go. is the official title of things. Um, and so this is, you know, my project. This is what I get to do is to deliver the encounter to all our lovely people. Um, so I um, want to say thank you for everybody who's using it. Thank you for everybody who is uh, tuning in for us. If you would, uh, you can hit a like button down there. That helps us grow as an audience. And then if you want to subscribe to the channel, that would help as well. Um, mm -hmm. If you find and this please valuable. share. And share and share. And share. Please share it with your friends. You know, if, if you know somebody that hasn't got a good Sunday school lesson material or just maybe a weekly personal material, this is a great one for them to dive into. So please share that information. Um, we put up links every week on how to download or order your copy um, of the encounter. And uh, we would love for you to join with us. Yeah, so, you can also, yeah. So if you go to cpcmc.org forward slash encounter, there's a place there where you can sign up for a weekly newsletter that this video gets shipped to you or in your email. And then also mm -hmm. it shows you where you can order a Kindle edition of the encounter. If you want to have that, that's on Amazon. If y'all want to download that, that would be great. Um, so uh, lots of different things that we, we do. And so thank you again. So there we go. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you for joining us for this week. This week, we're looking at John chapter four, verses seven through 26. And let's have our prayer for illumination before we jump into our message today. Uniting God in our world, we struggle with division. We want to place people into categories of who belongs where and who deserves what. You've done away with these divisions in Jesus Christ. Open us to a new way of living and thinking. Send the spirit to us today that we see as you see. Amen. And again, the scripture selection is John 4, 7 through 26. Today, our memory verse comes from John 4, 14. It says, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. So this scripture selection this week is all about the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, and what a great story. I don't know about you, but we have gone over this. I have, I have looked at the story ever since I was a little girl and tried to understand the nuances of it. And Kip does a great job of bringing out some really good points of this discussion, which we're going to get into, but he starts our introduction this week with how was your conversion experience? Was it dramatic or gradual? Talk about when you professed your faith and where it happened and what led to it. And why does Jesus seem to reach out to the outcast more than church people? I think that's, that's really some good points to start with. Um, from my perspective, of course, I grew up in the church, not the Cumberland church, but I grew up in the church of Christ. And then I left the church of Christ and I was unchurched for about 10 years before I was introduced to the Cumberland church, which I have been a part of since 2011. And that's a great question that Kip asked. So, um, my conversion experience and thinking back over it, I would say that when I was a kid, I understood who Jesus was, or at least I thought I understood who Jesus was, but it was more of a a fear of burning in hell that led me to, to, uh, be led to Jesus. But as an adult, I can see how that gradually has come, how my faith has grown, how it has changed over time. Uh, but that last question really, really got me. Um, why does Jesus seem to reach out to the outcast more than church people? And I pondered that a lot, um, because growing up in the church, I felt like maybe I was a part of the in crowd with the church, but in my life as a whole, I was always an outcast. I was the one on the fringes growing up through school. Um, and then when I left church, I went and did all those things that you shouldn't do because I was trying to felt like I belong somewhere. And in the world, 
how you belong has a very different mentality than how you belong in the church. Um, so when I came back to the church, I would say that was dramatic, you know, maybe the rest of it was gradual, but when I came back and I really understood the grace that Jesus offered, that was very dramatic. Um, I remember a night that I was sitting in, it was like a Wednesday night or Sunday night, we we're doing a Bible study. And what, I don't even remember what we were studying. It was the craziest thing. I was thinking about the story as I was going through this lesson earlier and I was in this study, whatever it was in my mind, I kept thinking, I need to reach out to people and apologize for the way I behaved, for what I did, for the hurt that I may have caused them. And, and the whole time I'm just thinking this, right? And then we get to the closing prayer and my pastor, she prayed this most beautiful prayer. And I just remember her in, in the middle of the prayer, she says, and I feel like God is telling me to tell whoever is here. I don't know what you're going through. I don't understand what's happening, but to let you know that it has already been forgiven and you are forgiven and you need to let this go. And it was at that moment, I just like, I just, the floodgates opened. I just bawled like a baby because I understood that God was telling me that I don't have to reach out to all these people throughout my history and, and, and apologize for my bad behavior that God has already forgiven me right where I'm at. And that was like a dramatic moment in my life of understanding the true grace that God offers. Um, it was, it was crazy. How about you? Yeah. So mine was, I think the same, we've talked about this a lot, the name and date religion type thing or time and place or yeah. whatever you want to call it. And, and I think that's true because there is a time where something becomes more real, but I think everything's gradual. I, think, I mean, if God is sovereign, uh, I guess I, I play with Calvinism a lot in my life, but I mean, I think God is, you know, the hounds of heaven. They're all, you're being driven to God. You're being wooed by the Holy spirit. And it may, it takes different forms for different people, but I mean, everything, even the stupid times in your life or the stupid times in my life probably led me to that moment where I could say, and mine was Easter sunrise service in 2000 and, or 1998 or 99. I can't remember which one it was, but um, Pastor Norman preached the gospel. And for whatever reason, I had some type of experience. And from that point on, I, I'm here. Um, right. And mine, I'm not, I'm not an emotional cat really. So like mine, I just remember thinking I had an experience. What do I do with it? And, and so it's the outworking of that is, so I'm more of a, let's think this through. Mm -hmm. And so um, it really, it was a switch of commitment. It was from commitment to um, not appreciating any type of religion or faith to simply committing to faith because it made sense at, at that point for me. And and whatever I've said an experience before. Um, so that's that. Now I would challenge because it's easy to say that Jesus reached out to the outcast more than the church, but I'm not sure that's necessarily sure. true. I mean, like he did spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with disciples. Right. I, I maybe it's not that he reached out to the outcast more than the people in the church. It's just the dramatic yeah. took place more so with the outcasts than with the people inside of the church. I think and I would also a better way of looking yeah, at that. I, I would say, but then I guess I would also highlight, it depends on how you define outcast because Jesus spent a lot of time reaching out to the Pharisees in a different way than the quote unquote outcast, but somebody in the church who has been attending church all their life, that's still terrible and a hard heart. They're outcasts still. I mean, in their way, they still need Jesus too. Even if they're self-righteous jerks like the Pharisees, they're still outcasts from, sure. from fellowship with God. And so I think it depends on how we use outcast. And, and I only bring that up because it's just so easy to criticize the church and people in it. Sure. And sure. Absolutely. Because for whatever reason, yeah. we still think that if you're inside of the church, that you've got your life put together and right. whole and life is good. And that's so untrue. <laughs> that is so untrue. Yeah. So I, I, that's it. It's just, it's easy to criticize the church because there's a lot of terrible people. There's a lot of terrible people in the world too. And God extends yeah. grace to both. And so, you know, that's why, that's the only reason why I bring that up because yeah. Jesus spent a lot of time, especially in John, uh, reaching out to the Pharisees. Like he genuinely yeah. loved them too. Um, so uh, there's that. Um, 
let's see on that other part. I also remember like I used to, of course, coming out of a pretty dramatic conversion call and then going to a church Christ Bible college. I was steeped in the name and place, time and date, religion type thing. Uh, and then when I got to the Margaret Hank church up here, there was a lady that I met named Pat Allen, who literally was a Christian her entire life. And I remember one sermon I preached pretty much a name or a name and place, religion, date and time, whatever. Uh, and she came up to me and she's like, I haven't been good at it, but ever since I was a kid, I've been trying to do right for God. Like, does that make me any less converted than anybody else? And I thought, no, it really doesn't. I mean, like, so if we not. baptize children and that child grows up in the instruction of the Lord, and then I had somebody say, you know, they said, uh, so would it be better to keep your children away from God until they can make up their own mind that it's a good thing? And that didn't make sense to me either. So um, I've come down with the fact that, like, if you're a believing parents and your baby gets baptized, then there shouldn't be many days that they're away from God or rebelling against God. Of course, we all do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. So there's that. So. Yeah. I don't know, I think Kip addresses that kind of in the middle of that first page, he says, but not everyone goes through the conversion experience in the same way. Right. And I think that's something we need to keep in mind when we're talking about conversion experiences, because it's because God is also a personal God. He reaches us where we can be reached at that moment, which is why all of our conversion experiences are different. You know, I, I know, Chris, you and I've talked about this on several occasions. You really feel God in like high church elements, the liturgy, really doing those liturgical readings is where you get that experience where you feel God the most. And for other people, it's in the quiet, still moments. It's in that peace and calm. I mean, that's where, that's where I find God most is, is just when it's just quiet, when it's quiet and I can hear God speaking to me. So in the, in the same way, God reaches us, I think, in very different ways for that conversion experience when we really, when we really truly meet Christ face to face. And it's like, hey, you, you are mine and I'm calling you to me and I want you, I want you to answer. I want you to say yes. You know, will you, will you come with me? And it's different for, it's different for everyone. And nobody's is better than another. I think that's something that we've struggled with as people is sometimes if you've been in church your whole life and then you hear somebody talk about this dramatic conversion experience, you're like, oh, I didn't really have that. I don't know if I really want to share my, but it's important because where, where God meets you is important. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Yeah, I think good, we answered. Yeah. Yeah. I think we answered. There was a question that Kip had is, um, do you ever wonder why that these strangers to his teachings are often more open to Jesus's way of doing things than church people who seem to have made up their minds already? And I, I think, think that's that, the key. I think Jesus yeah. reaches out and is available to those who are seeking something. And that yes. doesn't matter where you are in life or how much money you got, or if you're in the church or not in the church or whatever else. I think it's the, the humility. God calls the humble yeah. and the humble yeah. tend to search. Yeah. I think it's that, that heart that heart thing that's all i've got in the introduction you have anything else in there you're it all right how about exploring scripture historical setting what do you got in there what jumped out to you so on this one um i would say of course john sets up um like every single chapter john is trying to set up tension he's like okay what's going to happen next so light dark um righteous unrighteous you know Center saint. I mean, just everything, it's just dripping in John. And so I think um, one of the things I'll just bring up right off the top is in second to last paragraph, it says, many grew up here hearing this story and hearing the woman described as the sinful Samaritan woman because she had many husbands. Other words used to describe her hussy, adulterer, and more. But look deeper into and behind the story and you will hopefully see her differently. Um, yeah, maybe, but like, I think the point of Jesus saying like, yeah, and the one you're with and the husband you're with now, or the man you're with now, isn't your husband was a demonstration that like, not everybody died. This isn't just a completely like unfortunate story of someone who, you know, married four times and their husbands died. Right. Or, sure. I mean, I, but that being said, 
it also doesn't change the fact that it's a human being that is seeking something better and, and greater, right? Like, yes. um, but I, but the reason I bring that up is because I think it just highlights that no one is beyond redemption. And when you're seeking for something like physical water, or if you're seeking for comfort or security, you'll find it in a lot of places, but ultimately Jesus is saying, but it's in me, I'm the living water. I'm not just the water. I'm the building block of life. I'm not the, you know, just this thing. Um, so, so I wanted to bring that up too, because in the book of John, you see this kind of in John chapter three, Nicodemus, this high and mighty Pharisee pillar of the community has to seek Jesus or Jesus is, you know, saying, I'm, I'm the one you need. And then you juxtapose somebody who I think you're meant to understand as somebody who's not caring about the law because it's a, a Samaritan to begin with. And then it's a Samaritan who's had five husbands or five men and she's a woman. Right. And so, and then in John chapter five, you have the paralytic or a paralytic. And so John is just showing how different, like there's no, we're in society that you don't need Jesus. There's no person on the world, no matter your station that don't need Jesus. And, right. and you find ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Yeah. I think that juxtaposition of having Nicodemus, the Pharisee coming to Christ at night. And then you have the Samaritan who's not looking for Jesus, but meets him in the middle of the day. I, I love how John. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's cool. That's the thing we got to learn about John. Yeah. And so like, it's easy to eisegete John too, because it's easy sure. to say, here's the comparisons. But I do think that there was an intentional thing about saying this woman was a Samaritan. She was doing things that weren't with the law. She had a lot of husbands. Like there was a, an intentional painting of her by John. Um, yes. But that being said. to Nicodemus on the, in the chapter before, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. John is just full. We've talked about this before, but John is full of imagery and just, again, his, his writing isn't necessarily chronological, but it is, it is this building, the storytelling of the deity of who Jesus was and you're, and we're building not only the conflict that's going to come ultimately resulting in Jesus's death on the cross, but we're also building the story of how he meets people and meets people where they are. And so John is just building the story along by juxtaposing these characters next to each other in his, in his writing. And, and like, you know, like I said, that doesn't mean, I've, I've always said the Calvinist in me believes everybody is totally depraved. Even you, Becky, even me, like what I, I am. Depraved. <laughs> I tell myself this human being that's next to me is just like me and they're terrible. And then from that point on, usually I'm very, very happily surprised that they're nice or good or whatever. But for whatever reason, I guess that's why like, I, I don't know if we have to justify this woman and make her better or worse. I don't think we have right. to justify Nicodemus coming by night that we're all people and we all just need Jesus. And we're going to come in different ways and we're going to start yes. in different places. Um, and then we're going to find hope and living water in Christ. And then we'll be changed, you know, Amen. might take longer for others. Yeah. But anyway, that's where I go from. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's exactly right. You know, I mean, Kip does a great job in this section of, of building up the, the historical example of it, of understanding that this was very not okay for Jesus to be talking to this woman at the well, like culturally, this was yeah. totally taboo. Like you, you judge, you know, she's Samaritans middle of the day you're a man, you're a rabbi and you're a Jew. Mm -mm. We just don't have this conversation. So the fact that he even starts this conversation with her crosses one of those taboos, you know, of, of we're having a conversation right now, but then also just who she was in life. And I agree. I don't think you have to paint her any better or any worse. I think it's just an understanding that Jesus was meeting her where she was. Yeah. And with, with the understanding that she had, um, obviously she knew about the Messiah. She talks about this, you know, that we know that the Messiah is to come. Um, 
I just, you know, but Jesus met her right where she was with the understanding that she had, just like he had a conversation with Nicodemus in a place where he was and understood his, his understanding of who the Messiah was and his comprehension of who he thought the Messiah should be. Jesus just meets you right where you are, you know, pious sinner doesn't matter. Um, you know, terrible sinner, just Jesus is going to meet you right where you're at to, to I think while you were talking, who he is. Yeah. yeah. While you were talking, I, I did. And I, I think you might've said it, I, but Nicodemus was being concerned about the social norms when he came to Jesus by night. Yes. And then Jesus didn't care about the social norms when he came to the Samaritan woman by day. True. And I think that might be another juxtaposition. I think it's a, now that's where the church sometimes, you know, we, we want to hold up cultural standards more than we want to hold up the gospel standards. So there's yes. probably something y'all could talk about in the Sunday school class that, yeah. um, and I think about like some of the saints, like I use the word saint and it's, classic sense the people that we've recognized throughout history that have have shown things they didn't care they did not care about about uh decorum a lot of times mm-hmm. and, you know mm-hmm. people like saint francis of assisi or people like mother Teresa. they didn't care about decorum they had a overriding passion of spreading the gospel and and it could yeah. come in different forms but they didn't they weren't chained by um cultural by what was socially norms. acceptable yeah 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 and and there's and power in that Really, truly. And I think that Kip asked that in the discussion question at the end of the section, that's his first question. Is there a group of people today that others would look down on you for even talking right. to them? Yeah. I, I'm sure we have those in our society it. today, <laughs> you know, um, whether it's the people who live on the wrong side of the track or the people who have tracks up their arms, you know, um, um, yeah, there are certain people that, you know, you, I can't believe you went and talked to them. Well, Jesus did. Yeah, so it's, there you go. It's pretty tough there. I mean, yeah, because you just, you know, it's hard or it's easy to get caught up in the religion and and lose sight of faith. Or, you know, the, the and it, but that's our human nature. That's why Jesus also still offers us good Christians the opportunity to repent. Yes. And calls yes, out to absolutely. us in the church and says, Hey, you know, you're on the wrong track, buddy. Yes. Cause again. At, you know, either side, whether inside or outside of the church, um, we're all flawed human beings who need Jesus every moment of every day. That is for sure. Is there anything else in the, in the historical setting that you wanted to jump off on? I don't think so. I want to say like, okay. I think Kip did a really great job. And I think yes. that you can, you can spend time in this if you're a Sunday school teacher talking about that. The hard part of teaching the class sometimes in these stories is to stay there in that time and that age, put some effort into bringing it into today. Like I'm sure that somebody in your Sunday school class has experienced some type of prejudice in the types of ministries your church offers or the way you treat people when you come, when they come to the door. Um, I'm sure that there's somebody who's kind of looked at the cards, the visitor cards and been like, Oh, they live in a good neighborhood or this might cost us money. Like, and I hate to say that, but like, that's, that's what we do. And, and Jesus does call us to think, think higher. Yes. Amen. That he does. So digging deeper, let's get, let's dig a little bit. So this is where Kip really gets into the juxtaposition between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. And I think he does, again, I really think he does a great job of this um, because he has two very different encounters. And yet Jesus calls both of them, irregardless of the status that they have. So Nicodemus, again, a Pharisee who was trying to understand who Jesus was as what he was declaring himself to be the Messiah. Nicodemus is an extremely learned person. Yeah. um, Very wise, looked up upon uh, in his group of people um, and yet comes to Christ at night, of course, there may be some cultural um, nuances with that, being that the Pharisees studied it in the evening. I mean, there could be some stuff going on there. And I love how Kit points out through this whole study that Nicodemus, he understood, I think his faith was growing, but his faith 
through the story of John grew over time. We see Nicodemus growing over time. Like maybe he left that encounter with Jesus, believing who Christ was, but it wasn't like a really public declaration yet. And it was like, then we kind of grew. And then we grew a little bit more through the story of John. And then you have this juxtaposition of the Samaritan woman who would have been uneducated, um, obviously was a social outcast in her own community. Um, we know that because of what time and day that she went to drew water. Um, and the fact that she went alone instead of with the other group of women. Um, Can you imagine being out on the town and the girls go to the bathroom separately? It doesn't, doesn't happen. happen. It doesn't happen. People, the women group together for safety. Okay. We group together for safety. And, and here she was, she went and drew water on her own in the middle of the day. And she has this encounter again, uneducated, um, outcast of a woman. But when she believes she's it's like, and it's, it's an instant dramatic, uh, oh my gosh, could this really, this could really be the Messiah. Is this guy really the Messiah? And that's what she runs back to town telling people, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah. Um, so you have this really good um, two opposing points of where Jesus, again, meets these people. And that's what Kip really gets into with this comparing the scripture back and forth. And then he gets into the living water. Like, what does living water mean? If Jesus had said living water to Nicodemus, Nicodemus probably would have understood the living water to mean something very different than what the Samaritan woman was, because she was looking at the practical element. Well, here's a well and how's, you know, I have to come out and draw water every day. So I don't understand this living water where Nicodemus would have had this learned background information of the, the Hebrew scriptures, understanding the implications of what Jesus was trying to tell him. So I, I really liked that, that he put that in there. What'd you get out of that section? While you were talking, I think maybe it would be good in your Sunday school class or what, because I wanted to think about the different juxtapositions that John brings out. And so what I got, see if you can add to or take away from, you had this juxtaposition between darkness and daylight in these mm-hmm. stories. Uh, you had the juxtaposition between the respected uh, person that the that Nicodemus was to the disrespected person and all the reasons why you said, you know, we might think she's disrespected. You had one that followed the law to a T. You had someone who was a Samaritan who disregarded the law and didn't care much about it in their own way. Then you had one was a private meeting. One was a very public meeting, right? And then you had the difference between this was an educated person who was trying to find Jesus and the Nicodemus and an uneducated person trying to find Jesus. So those are the, some of the juxtaposi- juxtapositions that I see. And, and ultimately, as you were talking, I was thinking about this is a sermon, I think. I think I've got a sermon while you were talking. Um, so you have the sense in which Jesus came for every person in those extremes and in between. Now, it's not in this story, but I think while you were talking, this came up to me. Like the tag or the end of this is kind of, or in, in between the story, the, the disciples come back and they're just really concerned that Jesus is doing this. Yes. And it shows the blindness that is sometimes the followers of Christ. Like Jesus is doing something of eternal significance for this woman. And they're like, Hey, like, what, what are you doing? Like, why don't you know these kinds of things? You're not supposed to be talking to this woman. Like, right. And so I, I, I don't want that. I've never really thought about it that way, but I mean, maybe John is also trying to say, you know, gosh, even the disciples are still in the dark about who this Jesus person is. And, um, and it's just so easy. I see it sometimes in myself. I know I've seen it in the church that we just, it's like, this is the mission, but let's play around with everything else. Right. And so um, now again, that's not in the text that we've highlighted that part of it. I don't think it is in the 26, mm-hmm. but no, um, but I think it's important that we at least highlight that. Um, so that's, that would be the, the other thing with the living water. Uh, I, I would just say, you know, by saying living water, Jesus is trying to say something other than stagnant water. Yes. And so um, there is a sense like if uh, me and Amy, uh, Amy's cousin had a wedding in uh, kind of Southern Florida. And one of my favorite, th- I wanted to go to the swamp, man. I wanted to wrestle an alligator. I really did. Are so strange. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that you have this juxtaposition of you have this water that's kind of inland a little bit and it's overgrowing with moss and bacteria and other such things. And then 
of course you see the ocean which ebbs and flows and it's clean and it's you know moving and you know it's just it's you have that different feel and that I think that's what Christ was also trying to point out is that you can yeah it's living you know there's water but it can be stagnant and stale and don't taste very good and then you have this living thing that yeah that 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 is always full of energy motion and life yes yeah I, I agree I think that's exactly what he was trying to put into that whole alliteration there and I think Kip he says that at the end of this, he says, not realizing that what he offered had nothing to do with running water or even a dry mouth, but rather a dry soul that would soon be changed. And soul stagnant. And what, like, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, well, you know, I mean, think about ourselves personally. We can become stagnant. I mean, if we, if we just, if we just read the Bible once, think we have all the knowledge that we're supposed to have and, and don't do anything else, we're stagnant. We might believe, but there's, we don't have that living water running through us. It's not, it's not gushing out. It doesn't have that motion and energy. It's just sitting there stinking. <laughs> yeah. I think okay. about this. So like in some way I can, uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, I've gone back and read it because I've found some spiritual significance in that, in this sense, like Dorian Gray, he, he makes this deal with the devil so he can stay young or whatever. And you have this picture. And when he commits these evil acts, you know, lavishness and all this stuff that he does, his picture turns ugly. But the picture is, you know, he stays pretty on the outside, but the picture turns nasty and ugly. And and finally, you know, every time he does something evil, this the picture of him becomes worse. And that can be our soul in the sense of when we're doing stupid stuff, we're having the time of our lives, but our souls are suffering. We just can't see the soul. Wish we could. Right. So sure. anyway. Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome if it was just kind of projected in front of us? That would be. So we could see the awfulness that we are. I think that. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Really good point. Yeah. It's a good book. Uh, go back and read it. I'm going to have to go read that. So the reflection question that Kip gets into here is what is Jesus's interaction with Nicodemus and the woman say to you? I think we've kind of talked about that already. Um, Are there other differences you noticed? Do you think you would have understood Jesus when he mentioned living water? I think that would, again, depend on your level of education and how much you have studied the scripture, because if you haven't, um, you may be just like the Samaritan woman going on. I don't understand you know, you don't have anything to draw water from the well with. How can you give me living water? Um, what if he approached you today? Would you take him at his word or wonder if it was really him? And how would you seek proof? No, I wouldn't because I'm a skeptical <laughs> person pretty much sure. at heart. I've told you, I think people are terrible. And then if they surprise me, good. Um, sure. But so the Bible verse in John where Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruit. Like you just know if, if I do the works of God, like that's why mm-hmm. the Pharisees and he says, if you don't believe the miracles, just, I mean, like my fruit, just look at the fruit. And so, so maybe that's why it takes me maybe more time than others. I just want to see who people are, see the fruit that they bear. Sure. Okay. Uh, so that's me. Sure. That's my answer to that question. Yeah. Um, what about you? Would you, would you uh, recognize Jesus? No, probably not. Um, Cause I also, I'm very skeptical of people. And I think that comes from life experience. <laughs> where I've had, where I've had people like really bowl me over. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm more of show me who you really are versus just telling me because gotta have that fruit. Yep. Yep. I gotta see it. I gotta see it for myself. So yeah, no, I don't think so. All right. Learning from the scripture, the witness of the church. I love how Kip starts the end of the first paragraph. He says he looks into our souls uninvited and he peels back the layers of our lives. He knows us, he gets us, and he loves us. And praise God that he does. Holy cow. Um, Because, wow, what what a hot mess we are as people. You know, it's, it's funny because we all think, and we all do have a unique story, but we all think that our stories are different from everybody else's. And really there's nuances that are different but we're all flawed people and we all make terrible mistakes and things that we wish we could go back and redo and or not do um you know and that's that's part of i think that's what he's really getting into with this section um is that giving jesus a chance it's going to 
totally change your life. He says it's going to turn your life upside down. He's going to find a way to transform lives and reorient thought. Then what happens? Well, hopefully you become a changed person. Yeah. Um, I know for me, I look at the world completely different. Um, I just, I see people completely different. I see, I go back to that Imagio day where people are the image of God. And so in my interactions, it's not, it's not this person who was a prostitute. It's not this person who was a drug addict. It's not this person who dealt with sexual, whatever, whatever addiction it was. It's this person is another image bearer and they deserve as much respect and admiration as I do. Yeah. Um, as a I think that's what we were talking. Yeah. I mean, it's just, people are troubled, but people are amazing too. Like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want people to think when I say everybody's terrible that I mean that really harshly. It's just, you know, scripture says even our righteousness is like filthy rags, but people are in the image of God too. And that's amazing. We're amazingly terrible. Is the only yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah, we're we're amazingly amazingly terrible. Terrib- we are. And sometimes we're terribly amazing. Um, yeah. You know, it just, it, I guess it depends on our day. I, I don't know, but that's really what I got out of that section. Um as as wow gosh yeah how much that moment that meeting with jesus reoriented my entire life and how much that did for the samaritan woman and for nicodemus both how how much that reoriented their whole thought process and how they how they saw the world um you know that that to me was just crazy i loved his lewis quote in here too um that she left behind her ostracism her marginalization her loneliness because jesus has brought her into his fold she leaves behind her disgrace her disregard and the disrespect she has endured to enter into a new reality a new life that is abundant life yes that's jesus knew who she was yeah i really i really like that what'd you get out of that section so on page 61 second paragraph uh yep writes if like the samaritan woman we open our lives to this encounter with jesus Then he gives us living water. The wells we have been drinking from lose their luster. And we realize that their water provided only temporary satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Too many people find fulfillment in a bottle or a needle or power. The luckier ones seek gratification and job, praise of their community, so on. Uh, Oh, he goes on to say, people have sought thousands of other ways to achieve contentment and none of them is satisfied. Um, So there is a, he's dead now. He committed suicide. And I hate this because he was an amazing Mm -hmm. guy. There was a, he was a writer called David Foster Wallace. Um, and he, um, gave a speech at a graduation, uh, to, you know, a bunch of young kids. And, and he's, I'm going to read this because I think it's, it's amazing. And it, and it helps us here. It says, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. If you worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. If you worship power, you will end, uh, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over other people to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid as a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful of themselves, it's that they're unconscious. There are default settings. And and I should have brought that up, but the reason I bring this up is because what Jesus does is, at one and the same time, uh, gives us something to be satisfied, but then we have to realize that everything else is empty. And that's scary. Yeah. Like, right? Like the things that used to satisfy you simply won't satisfy you anymore. And and I love like David Foster Wallace was not a Christian. He was he was an atheist and he but he he knew that there was something in our lives that had to be filled. He never did find it. Mm-hmm. And I hate that. But I think he was so totally right that our default mode is to worship. We're worshiping beings. And that's when Christ says, I'm it. Right. It's found. It's here. Right. Don't don't keep going with husbands. Don't keep going with just these temporary earthly water things. Find the good thing. Worship the good thing. That's mm-hmm. what I got from the learning from the scripture section. And you think that's that's terrifying thinking about going from the worship 
the learning to applying the scripture. We're going to get into this and Lamott's autobiography here in a moment. But do you think that part of that is that why it's so hard for people to accept Jesus? Because the world tells us that here is all of this stuff that will satisfy you and give you what you're looking for, whether it's power or sexual gratification or the high that you're looking for, whatever that is. And to understand that when you, when you really accept Christ into your life, that none of this, none of this will fulfill that. And it, it loses its power over you, but then, but, but there's that moment of, well, then what? And I think it's that, it's that fear of the unknown of understanding that if you accept Christ and the rest of this loses its allure to you, then what? what is that? What does that mean for your life? What is it that you're looking for? How do you reach that fulfillment? And do you think that's why some people have a hard time? Yes. I think that's why I would go a little, just slightly deeper, just to say that once you realize you're not the center of the universe, that's kind of shocking. In other words, you have to give up you. I mean, the reason why you like beauty is because it's you. The reason why you like money is because you can spend it on you. The reason why you like power is because it makes you feel better. And then all of a sudden you come to this thing that, yeah, it sounds great to be fulfilled, but you find fulfillment in something other than me. (laughs) Like, have you, I'm awesome. I like me, but then Jesus calls us to deny me and follow him. And that I think is the thing that, you know, blows you up. Really upsets Everybody the money, power, that. influence, and fame, that's all secondary. It's the fact that you're no longer king or queen right. of your own life. Man, that sucks you're, a little bit. Can't be, it does a little bit, actually. <laughs> but it's not It's not bad, though. After I got no. into yeah. it, I like it. That's you know? discipleship. Like that's, yeah, that's the discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, sure. I like not um, having to be the center of the universe all the time. It's not always about me. Yeah, it's something that's really hard. Um, I think in our culture, if you, you're discipling, especially the younger folks who have grown up in a culture to tell them that they are the center of the universe, I think it's, it's hard for them to see that. Right. Okay. So you bring up, yeah, something. no, this is extra credit class. You can like skip a couple seconds or so with my stepdaughter. I'm allowed to do this. I think she struggled with self-worth, but also at the same time being the center of desiring to be the So it's like this struggle with a younger crowd, at least what I've noticed, it's like they're not worth anything, but then everything has to be about them. And so the gospel says God created a whole universe to have a relationship with you, but it's not all about you. (laughs) That's hard to kind of grasp actually. Like the whole world was created for me, my enjoyment and to love God. Yeah. and be in fellowship. But at the same time, right. you're supposed to give up everything. It's very, very difficult. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. That's something mm-hmm. to think about, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think so. I'm with you. It's it's a hard thing for, I think that's why maybe the church is growing amongst the immigrant population is because they don't have, because culturally. Materialism, yeah. I get you. They don't have, they're not the center of the universe. Their family, you know, their family is very important to them. Um but it's not, it's not about all, all about them. And I think, no, it's not, but they are, they are the center of God's universe in a sense, because God created all things to have a relationship with them and us, but then he calls us to give it all up for others. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's just mixed signaling. (laughs) It's very hard. Okay. Yeah. Which brings us to this conversion experience. Yes. In applying the scripture and and Lamont's autobiography, I had never read this before. This, you have ever have you ever read Anne Lamont? I have not. Read everything I, she's ever written. Okay, I'm going to have um, to put her on my list. I will say I this: love if you're, this. yeah, if you're more of the conservative type, there's going to be some things that she says that you're not going to like. If you're more of the liberal type, there's going to be some things that she says that you might not like. But she's a she has a way with words and expression and to think. Anne Lamont's really flipping amazing. So. Um, again, you'll disagree, but I mean, like you'll be exposed to something good. So Becky. Yeah. So I love, I love this conversion experience. She was, she was talking about, um, that she felt like Jesus was there 
And it was like, he said, said to her that she want, he wanted her to become a Christian. And she said, she'd rather die. I thought, holy cow, what, what a thing to proclaim when you feel like Jesus is standing there next to you, you know, that's just amazing. But then she writes this whole, I'm not going to read it everything, but I'll read that last paragraph of, um, in the middle of page 63, she says, I began to cry and left before the benediction. So she was in a church service and just this beautiful song got to her. I raced home and felt the little cat running along at my heels. This was the little cat that she felt like was following her around, but it wasn't really there. And I walked down the dock past dozens of potted flowers under a sky as blue as one of God's own dreams. And I opened the door to my houseboat and I stood there a minute. And then I hung my head and I said, I quit. I took a long, deep breath and said out loud, all right, you can come in. What an experience. That just, that just floored me. Totally Mm -hmm. floored me that Jesus, again, it goes back to Jesus meeting people right where they are with what they need at that moment to understand that they are his and he is calling you, but you have to accept yeah, and he also pursues. That's the cool thing about Anne Lamont. Oh, uh, like she, uh, yeah, she's pretty good. Like it, I do like her. That um, just, I mean, that just blew me away. I loved this. I love this story. So I'll just throw in my applying the scripture section is first. You have this conversion experience again. If you read all of John four, so if you're teaching this, I would tell you read all of John four. Take your little notes because you you know in a lesson you can't you can't hit on everything. But I think what's important in John chapter four is the experience which the Samaritan woman had and she went to tell others. And I think I've used this as an illustration of really what it means to witness at its like it's not it's not apologetics. It's not knowing more like this woman knew nothing about the Bible. She knew nothing about Jesus. She knew nothing about really the Jewish understanding of the Messiah. Nothing. She simply went and said, hey, look at this experience I had. Maybe you too can can see that this is the Messiah. And then there's this really cool, let me see if I've got it pulled up. Um, let's see. So in John chapter four, after she's gone and she's talked to everybody, and I think it's verse 39. Um, I'm bringing it up here. So yeah, after she's gone and talked in verse 39, John 4, 39, many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Quote, he told me everything I'd ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Uh And I love that because, like, literally, witnessing or testifying is simply saying, this is what God has done for me. Check it out. And, yeah. and somebody can trust you enough to go check it out. But the Holy Spirit and the Father bring people to the Son. We just lift Jesus up and Jesus draws humanity to himself. It's really yes. not as hard as we make it. it. It's not. It is not. You don't have to have like this prescribed track that you read to mm-hmm. witness to people. You just need to live your life as you are called to Christ. That You are a witness. You are a visible witness. What was that? St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. They're use but words. Yeah. I would just say that in our society, we sometimes just don't use the words. And I think we do need to. I think we do testify. God's been good to me. This is this is good. And invite. I think true. we have to speak a little bit. Speak those words. God. Yeah, I say that me. because St. Francis, like he might have said that, but the dude never shut up about God and Jesus at the same time. Right. <laughs> That's the, pur- true. That's true. the purpose of the statement wasn't to stay silent. The purpose was to have your words and your actions meet. That's what he meant yes, when he said match up, match up together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, if you're watching, um, Oh, the chosen, isn't that the, the Bible series that's, that's out of it. That is like one of their taglines is come and see. Come and, and, see. I, and I think that's, that's extremely right here in this moment, understanding that, as we talk to people in the world around us about what God has done, then it's the invitation of come and see for yourself. Don't, don't just take my word for it, but come and see what 
God's all about. Come and understand who God truly is. And that's, again, witnessing to people is not as difficult as we like to think it is. It's not evangelizing. It's not that difficult. It's just inviting others to come and see for themselves this beautiful relationship that we have. And then Kip ends the section with some really good reflection questions, maybe that you can talk about in your class today. He says, have you ever been considered a nobody? And if so, what did it feel like? If not, what can you do to help change the feeling for someone else? Imagine being at the well. What did Jesus say to you? How has your relationship with Christ made life better? And in what ways is it more difficult? Yeah, I don't know. I've always been a Pharisee. God has always had to kind of turn me down a notch. It's never happened to necessarily lift me up. Like, I, you know, don't judge me. Right. Okay, Nicodemus. <laughs> yeah. All right, I mean, Nicodemus. Yeah. That's okay. So you can be Nicodemus and I'm more like the Samaritan as well. Um, yeah, that's kind of how my life has been. So, yeah. But look, look at what God has done through your life and what God has done through my life, you know, and how amazing is that, that God met us right where we were, right when we needed to be met. Um, I'll end this with, uh, yeah. with a little thing. One of the, um, there was a lady in our church, Vanda Gerard, and she had, she had a very, it was a weird voice for a lady. It was kind of an alto. I mean, she was deep. What is a deep one? It's not a bass, but she was the alto kind of a deeper. Yeah. The alto is the deeper. Anyway, she had this perfect type voice. Or tenor. I mean, if you go another, it's tenor. Whatever. She, she had a deep voice. So, okay. Um, okay. Totally eclipse of the heart type voice. What Bonnie Tyler, is that who that was? Uh, anyway. Gosh, you know, my brain. Doesn't matter. I, yeah. I just remember this story. Uh, Kip puts the story, I mean, the lyrics to Fill My Cup, Lord. Yes. Anyway, uh, Vanda would sing this whenever we had one of the, you know, Fifth Sunday sing-ins or whatever else. And I just was always ministered to by it. This was a lady who I think really not only sang the song, she loved the story. And, and anyway. I only bring that up to say that she was, that was her witness. A lot of times was she ministered to me in that witness by just singing that song about John four. And so I don't know if Vanda watches these things or not, but somebody in Covenant Presbytery always or probably knows her, but anyway, good job, Miss Vanda. Awesome. Her husband and was good Tony, job. Or, or, uh, Stan Gerard was, he was Stan a minister Gerard, in, okay. in Covenant Presbytery for a long time. Okay. Passed away well, good job, Vanda. Mm-hmm. And good job, Kip. Yeah. Good job. Um, how about you send us out with a blessing there then? Sure. Let us pray real quick. Gracious God, thank you so much for this opportunity today to gather together in whatever capacity and technology allows us to, to discuss your word and to learn more about it. Lord, we pray that it just be multiplied and that it touches people's lives so that they leave this moment, uh, understanding that they just need to invite others to come and see that you have worked so amazingly in their life. And Lord, that you wish to do so in everybody's life. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Bless those and that are listening today and let us all be better witnesses for you. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Go with peace, my friends.